Hey, welcome to Braves Country. On today's episode of the Braves Country podcast, we have a rare interview with Mr. Stevie Tombstone. He's an underground folk country blues troubadour. His influential Swampabilly punk band, The Tombstones, was so well respected by Southern musicians that his solo debut, 7.30 a.m., featured performances by members of Wilco, Jason and the Scorchers, The Bad Livers, and The Georgia Satellites. His 2011 release, Greenwood, tells the tale of his journey to Greenwood, Mississippi, to mark the grave of a then-unhonored Robert Johnson. Stevie Tombstone has shared the stage with the likes of Leon Russell, The Stray Cats, Greg Allman, Willie Nelson, Drive-By Truckers, Kevin Kinney, and even The Ramones. And now we sit down with Stevie Tombstone backstage at the historic Hargrave Capitol Theater in Macon, Georgia, before his special opening set with Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke. Stevie tells us about his musical journey, his love of the South, seeing Hank Aaron hit number 715, working at Fulton County Stadium as a cotton candy vendor, and writing for Fate Magazine, and how he bonds with his son over the Braves-Yankees rivalry. All that and more in this special field interview with the elusive Stevie Tombstone. This episode of Braves Country is sponsored by our Braves fan friends down at Century 21, Solomon Properties in Savannah, Georgia, servicing the historic downtown Savannah area, the island area, and Atlanta's beach, beautiful Tybee Island, Georgia. Call Joel Solomon today, 912-604-0896. That's 912-604-0896 for all your real estate needs on the Georgia coast. Braves Country also sponsored by Smith's Old Bar, best live music venue in Atlanta since 1994, located in the heart of Midtown at 1578 Piedmont Avenue. Smith's Old Bar is a neighborhood joint for everyone. Check out smithsoldbar.com for the current concert calendar and tickets. See y'all at Smith's. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. All right, welcome to the Braves Country Podcast. My name is Scott Munn, reporting live in the field down here at uh, the Hargrave Capitol Theater in historic Macon, Georgia. And I'm sitting backstage with a legendary singer-songwriter and integral part of the Atlanta and Austin music scenes, Mr. Stevie Tombstone. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. (laughs) That's my first field interview. I'm out of the office, but I I love being at the Braves Radio Network. It's a big deal to me. I appreciate you coming all the way down here, man. Yeah, man. 
Thanks for the invite. So you, you've been around basically my whole adult life. I've been knowing that there was this Tombstones and Stevie Tombstone was playing with Kevin Kinney and it was cool. And, but then I went and read about you, man, to try to talk to you about everything today. Because we just kind of passed it yeah. in gigs and on tour and stuff. Yeah. And I read about some of the stuff you've done, man. And you have really, you've really been working hard for about 30 years, man. And it's amazing that some of the Austin, Texas stuff and New York stuff that you got going on. And, then, and now I hear that you work with this fake magazine. And, and man, I want to get into this thing where you, that you did with uh, the Greenwood Project. Oh, yeah. Amazing stuff, man. Uh, I try to... I have to keep myself occupied, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're a busy guy. I guess you're described as an American folk country blues artist. Is that about that, That's what it's turned into. Yeah. You know, I guess everything's kind of gotten distilled over time, you know. Yeah. So that kind of sums it up in a couple of words, I think, if I had to just explain it to somebody. And uh, you met Roy Acuff as a young man, and that's when you decided to be a musician. That's what I heard. Is that, is that true? That's when I started, like, I, I was, uh, we were at a museum checking out his, his fiddle mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and I guess that was part of his gig at the time, to hang out in the museum. I don't know, but he walked up behind me, and it just sort of was the first time I'd, like, met anybody that I had seen or listened to, you know, through another medium, so, in person, and so it kind of clicked, and he was such a nice, nice, per- nice human being to boot. It sort of started planting that seed in my head, you know. And what was it you remember about him as far as, like, I, you, maybe you remember the conversation or you remember anything that he kind of Man, I, did? Or? I, I just remember him being very kind to me and, and sort of, and playful, you know, and because uh, uh, he snuck up behind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> and tapped me on the shoulder. Yeah. And, and I don't know why. <laughs> I was just a kid looking at his fiddle. But, uh, and, and, but it was just... You know, and then I was, when I realized who it was, I, I was more in awe, so I couldn't really tell you much more than he had on a blue tie. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like I, I met a, you know, a few ball players over the years, you know, Dale Murphy or Bobby Cox or yeah. whatever, and I'm just, can't even, I just, you're stunned. For it me. was like meeting Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. I guess. It's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, now you were there, and, you're, and you, were, you were checking out that fiddle in his museum there, because you respect fiddle so much, because you're actually related to a Georgia-born legendary fiddler, uh, Clayton. How, what, Clayton, Clayton McMicken. Right. Yeah, that's actually our real family name. So, uh, on my dad's side, so my grandmother was a McMicken. Right. So uh, I don't know. He was always used as a. You don't want to end up like your like Clayton, you know. Right. <laughs> when we were kids, and so the first thing I did was, oh yeah, I do. Right. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. It just. It was just sort of in the cards, I guess. You know. Did you attempt to play fiddle, or do you play fiddle? Before? Man, I, I can't play worth a damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've tried. I can play a little mandolin if, I, if I'm in a clutch, but I don't have any of that in me. You know what's interesting is we talked to Levi Lowry a lot, uh, and he, his, he's related to uh, Gid Tanner, who's oh, yeah. also famous. Oh, yeah. The, the skillet liquors, man. Right. And these are like the original country fiddlers, these guys, right? Yeah. Um, what like what music will we know that you're that you're uh, that Clayton played on? Uh, probably, I would say maybe the most famous thing is probably Peach Picking Time in Georgia. You know that's a pretty good one, man. Classic, yeah. yeah. You know the devil went down to Georgia. Clayton had a song called Hell's. It was an instrumental called Hell's Broke Loose in Georgia. 
Mm-hmm. So I know there's a lot of other fiddle players out there in history, especially out in Texas. There's, you know, it's it's incredible. But I do feel like perhaps Clayton that influenced, you know, Charlie Daniels to some bit. But I don't know. It's it's really neat because they were uh, they were uh, pioneers at the time. Yeah, and, and they were they were fusing jazz into the traditional music as well. And I heard they were the was it the first broadcast from a moving air airplane aircraft. Interesting. <laughs> first ever. Yeah. They have they had there's a there's a there's a world record you have to like. Right. Yeah. I think they got in like a bomber or something and did a radio broadcast and played live inside of a a large aircraft. That's the thing about the. You know those uh, the old time music and the bluegrass guys and all that stuff is uh, you you can play anywhere because you there's no amp needed. Oh yeah, there's no drums needed. No nothing, man. Yeah. They just had a good hot mic and you were set. Yeah, so you can do it in the airplane, the Mile High Club, if you will. Tell us about your 1980s band and 90s band, the, the Tombstones. I had the pleasure of seeing them open for for Driving Crying a couple of times. That started out as just like a gang of people that hung out and we just made music together. It wasn't really a didn't set out to start out to we didn't have a business plan as you, if you, as you would say these days that band stayed together for the, the the main portion of the band was between 86 and 92 you know five or six year period there off and on and uh, and then we got I put another group back together and we went back went back out and did uh, some touring in the areas the original line I never got to and uh and sort of got to finish. I like to say I finished got to finish what I started, but uh, it was fun, um, and, and it it was it was an influence of a of a lot of different people's uh, fl- flavors mixing with the stuff I was writing, and it it was a it was an awesome uh, little period of time there. It kind of had that um, kind of that greasy rockabilly or yeah it was like creams on crystal meth or something man or, but it was a little cramps you know like a little psychobilly thrown in and right. a little southern rock you know it, uh, we used to and, and the cool thing is depending on who was in the band at the time that sort of influenced the how we played the music and the, the songs that we wrote because we might have somebody from a metal band come in and play bass and then a rockabilly drummer, you know, and so it sort of it it shaped the re- the recordings we did. Yeah, and uh, but then you took a turn away from the band and you went on tour in Europe. I heard and uh, solo and it kind of awakened I, you to the. I, I always started to work more on being a songwriter and less on being a guitar player. T- t- by the time we had cut our last record twice, so right, right. <laughs> so. Uh, um, so uh, I, we had our uh, bass player at the time was uh, Jeff from Jason and the Scorchers. He was in the Tombstones for a while, and when he was out of the Scorchers, and and when we uh, sort of dissolved the Tombstones, uh, the he was back in the Scorchers. So I I just went out and opened for them, yeah. you know. So we were still writing and working together. Jason uh, and the Scorchers just. Fantastic. Uh, oh man, I got to go all over Europe with those guys. There, it was a great learning experience. They're great dudes, and and uh, uh, you know, it was a really cool way to segue into uh, a solo career or a you know solo project. Yeah, and now you're like, I think you're of you as being kind of like this 
in a way, like a Johnny Cash figure, like a, a, a and I know that's a big thing to say, but you're kind of been this like underground troubadour for a while now. Is that kind of accurate? Man, I've been playing the uh, off the beaten path, you know, and staying on the road for the last, well, several decades at least. And uh, I've slowed down just a hair, you know, because of all the the pandemic issues and uh, I stop and start a little bit. I've got, I've got a awesome son. He's 14. So I, I spend a lot of time with him uh, when at all possible, but uh, in between, I'm just trying to go where I'm wanted. So, and I want to get back to uh, your son and your family and, uh, and what you've been doing all these years since the tombstones, because it's, there's a lot to go get into <laughs> some amazing things. But, but first I want to say, um, we're down here at the Hargrave Capitol Theater here in Macon, um, and you're uh, you're starting the show off for Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke, and he's another guy that's kind of like uh, been in and out of your musical life uh, over the years. I know you did some recording with him. And yeah. Tell yeah. us about your your friendship with Charlie. Man, Charlie's <laughs> Charlie's as good as they get. Man, uh, I met him. You know, uh, I was still in Tombstones, I guess when I first met him and he was playing guitar with I think Tommy Rivers at the time and then uh, we did some sessions and I, when I started playing solo uh, we did some session work together and, and some live shows together uh, under my name and uh, we I've actually uh, the song we did uh, he plays pedal steel on can't go back to yesterday it came out in 2004 it's about to come back out again uh, on digital and vinyl, and then uh, and then we we've got another song that got released, uh, Cowboy Heart, that I and I cut those in Nashville with Jeff Johnson. So there you go, and Ken Coomer from yeah. Wilco. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Those Wilco cats are intense, huh? Great they're they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta look under the mattress. And uh, I, I was talking to Charlie, and he told me that. Uh, you and uh, you had him along uh, when you opened for uh, you opened the show for uh, uh, let's see for Greg Almond. Oh yeah, was it Greg Almond at, yeah. the, at the Tabernacle in, uh, the, during the Olympics. Yeah, in '96. And uh, tell tell me about that. What do you remember about that show? <laughs> I don't remember. You don't remember much about? That? I remember it was an awesome gig. Yeah, I remember uh, we had to stay in our dressing room and the crowd was great. Right, that's all. You know. Uh, yeah. But it was, uh, uh, you know, we didn't get to, we didn't get to, uh, at that time, uh, I think Greg was, there was a, they were keeping things uh, pretty tight security. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and, he was on uh, lockdown. He was on lockdown. So, <laughs> and uh, and I don't think I was exactly on my best behavior at, the, at right. that point in time. Maybe, maybe I was. I can't, I don't recall. Okay. But, can't uh, confirm or deny. Can't it. confirm or deny. <laughs> but uh, but but man, that room sounds so good. Yeah. Uh, and just I think the <clears throat> the magnitude of that historical event. You're playing with Greg Allman at the Tabernacle, which is a historical building, and then it's the year. I mean, it's during the Olympics. It's it's a lot to take in for a young man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Charlie told me you asked him to play uh, Steel. And yeah, it was like the first week he'd ever Man, started. Man, he was so good at pedal steel. Yeah, and he said he only knew about three notes. He just kept playing the same ones. That's all it takes, over. man. That's all I do. That's all I do. Yeah, 
three chords and the truth, right? That's right, man. You know what? I want to get into this uh, the Greenwood project where I guess you you had a journey to Greenwood, Mississippi, to mark the grave uh, of a then unhonored Robert Johnson, who is basically the the, the father of blues music, American blues music, right? Correct. And that's a, an amazing thing to do for the world, man. I, well, I, it was. I thank you for doing that. You're welcome. It was a. It was. A, it, it wasn't just me. It was. Uh, uh, we had a fellow that uh, that worked for us. He was kind of our kind of our tour manager, Rody. He just kept the truck running and and kept got us where we had to be and uh, helped us, you know, round off the corner on our recording recording budgets and uh, anyway. You know, we got we had just signed a deal with Relativity. We uh, he was like, you know, guys, uh, you should. He, he hit us with the fact that Robert Johnson didn't have a tombstone, and I was like, man, we how much of that? How much of his music do we do we lift? You know, for our own benefit. You know, everybody. Yeah. And uh, and when I say lift, I mean lift. You know, it's it's the heart of a lot Starting of stuff. Started with Hank Williams. Yeah. Yeah. So. So he's like, man, you know, you guys are, you guys should buy him a, a, a marker. And uh, we talked about it, and our manager thought about it, and he he got all of the label. Because his grave was, was unmarked. It was unmarked at the time. And, and Why and was, was that? Why? Well, nobody was 100% sure where the hell he was buried, because everybody's got a different story depending on who you're talking to and history, you know, there's, there's not, and there wasn't a lot of documentation then, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, so, <coughs> excuse me, so, uh, our, our manager then at the time got, put the whole thing together, cool. uh, he, uh, he, he, uh, got a hold of, uh, a, a monument company and, and uh, we ended up connecting with Johnny Shines, who played with Robert, and uh, and Rick Richards went down with us too. Rick and Richards from the Georgia Satellites. Yeah, who was in your band at the time, or played with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was work. He did a lot of recording with us, and he would he would play with the band intermittently. So, mm -hmm. uh, so we we all went down there, and uh, and the rest is not history. But <laughs> but. Uh, they weren't real stoked about us because uh, we had to go down there the night before to figure out where, where, where we thought he was buried. You know, so we could do it at daybreak the next morning, and we got in there late. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of folks saying we were doing things that we weren't out there in the cemetery the night before. Like what? I don't know. Vandalism, partying. Uh, we all we did was go out there with flashlights. We had some directions we'd gotten from Robert Lockwood Jr., handwritten directions as to where the grave was, and we followed those, and we figured out where it was going to go, and then so we could mark that spot and come back the next morning, like we knew what we were doing. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, Rick, Rick had an awesome idea. We were sitting in the van, and he looked at me. He said, "Man, uh, we don't belong out." You know, Johnny was the dude that traveled with. Robert, and he's the one that should be placed in the marker. So, so that's what happened. Cool. Yeah. And did uh, did did you guys document this? Did anybody? Uh, uh, there were some photos. I, are I I don't I don't have any 
I don't have any copies of that stuff. Uh, there's some articles written about it, and there was some negative press about it because there were other people, I think, collecting money to to build a monument that they hadn't acted yet. So, so I don't know. There's like three. <laughs> if there's a big crowd at one, you can go to the other. There's three markers. Oh, there are. <laughs> yeah. He has three markers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So isn't Robert Johnson... So when I found out there was three, I had to write a song about it. Oh, you did know? you? Yeah. Oh, you so, so that was that was the... You know, uh, years later, I was I read, I was going through a magazine, and I went, wow, there's three markers now, you know. Man, that guy, you know, he's so mis... I mean, he's appreciated on the one hand, but maybe misunderstood on the other hand. And there's the whole myth of the... Uh, the Thing where he sold his soul to the devil, isn't that his? Isn't he kind of like? Yeah, that's the old. Uh, that's that's the legend. Yeah, and then he wound up with three grave markers because he didn't. He was so no, his soul can't even rest. And what do you know about that whole legend? And is that any? Where does that come from? And what do you uh, think about that? Man, you know, I think it's derivative, maybe of of some older you know, classic myth, mythos, you know, maybe right. uh, from the, a Greek uh, story, perhaps, you know, right. some, some from mythology, I, I can't lay my finger on it, but I think it's, a, I think it's supposed to symbolize maybe, maybe he made some sacrifices yeah. uh, and to, to get as good as he got. Right. And maybe it was more than a year, you know, like they say, seven days to make the earth. <laughs> so, right. so maybe it was more than seven days. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's my that's my if you, that's my. Um, it's kind of a practical view. That's of the a, whole thing. that's a that's a pragmatic look at yeah. it. You know, uh, but uh, but you never know. Yeah. So, well, you know, you're right about that because now, as you've gone forward in your in your uh, travels and uh, and and just being a kind of a traveling troubadour um, you know you I found that it, for me doing it as a as a tour manager and manager over the years uh, that you do trade out a lot you miss a lot of family and you miss out on you know normal life and I wonder yeah. if, if that's what you kind of mean is you know you kind of uh, in a way you kind of you might trade you might trade some things for your talent or you might trade some things for your experience trade some things for your career and they might be trading family and faith and like a normal of course existence. yeah yeah you're uh, you're you're making sacrifices but but they may not seem like sacrifices until after the after the fact yeah know? so uh, so I that's that that's why I kind of had that idea you know you see a lot of like athletes and anybody that's like really hell-bent on uh, on succeeding at something they they tend to cast off everything except for that that one focus, you know, keep your eye on the prize kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so I don't know if I had to if I had to write an essay on it, that would be that would be my essay. But you did write a record about the whole thing called Greenwood. Yeah. And uh, tell us tell us about that. What was the process? What, how did you make the record? Well, I made it in upstate New York because I'm I'm up there about half the time, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, in a really cool studio up there uh, called Subcat, and uh, the guy that owned the studio, uh, 
we were hanging out. He goes, hey, let's let's why don't you come down and make a record? And uh, and he said, you got anything? And I said, yeah, I, I had I had started on a concept record, you know, of the Greenwood thing, but it had been kicking around a while. So I I got in I got in the studio, and then we uh, I had about half the record, and some of it's and the part of it's uh, well, the title track is explains the, the story of the trip to, to some degree and then the rest of the songs are either related to the subject matter through through the song form like the blues form or 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 maybe a first or second person point of view from 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 a musician traveling musician's point of view so it uh I, I got a couple of songs that uh you know you're singing to somebody that you're most all of them you're singing to somebody that 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 you're not with at the moment you know um and, and i think those are the people that got sacrificed does that make sense yeah so it's uh it's not very linear so yeah well is there i mean we're sitting here backstage and making and you got your guitar is yeah. there a, a song from that project that you would Want to play for for Braves fans? Or yeah, man, I'll play a little piece of this. Here's, okay. a, here's a bluesy number. Greenwood's Greenwood may is so long it may take up half your uh, podcast. <laughs> okay. Maybe a sample. Yeah. But uh, but I could. Uh, here's a. This color just ain't right. Hung out to dry Locked out all night You know it just ain't right But I pay my dues Till I found the truth Wasted half my years Trying to live the blues I've been rubbed and tied Hung out to dry Locked out all night You know it just ain't right Never loved a thing Unless it had six strings Bottom don't come free but it comes naturally I've been roped and tied Hung out to dry Locked out all night You know it just ain't right You know it just ain't right the rest of this right. song <laughs> well that's great that was great I love that song that's, I've heard you do that in, uh, at a couple of shows uh, I think you did that the other night in Chattanooga and I, I really remember enjoying that I, I always hear the songs live first and then I go find the records I'm going to have to get it's one of those why is everything so hard on me oh yeah because I make it that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly and you know what if you listen at home you can go to stevietombstone.net that's your website right stevietombstone.net these days yeah. yeah and you can go find uh, that record and, and many more and you have a, your latest record uh, Raised on Roots is that right? yeah 
Yeah, when did that come out? That came out right before the pandemic, probably 2019. Yeah? Yeah, I think 2019, 2020, and it's like a, it's, it's got tracks from, you know, I do a lot of little EPs, just digital EPs, so it's got, it's got some cuts off of that, and then I've got some, uh, some loose tracks from the 90s, and that I, that I recorded with like the satellites and then I've got stuff that I did with my band out in Austin the Texas Tombstones uh, Gospel Circus of Power uh, the song Kevlar Heart with Charlie and myself There's, it's a really cool just like uh, junk drawer full of yeah. good stuff man it's kind of like what all you've been doing yeah kind of yeah yeah years. it's like uh, here scattered <laughs> yeah, sc- yeah scattered shot you know but uh, it's like a mixtape, you know, and I, and I sort of made it that way. So This episode of Braves Country is sponsored by our Braves fan friends down at Century 21, Solomon Properties in Savannah, Georgia, servicing the historic downtown Savannah area, the island area, and Atlanta's beach, beautiful Tybee Island, Georgia. Call Joel Solomon today, 912-604-0896. That's 912-604-0896 for all your real estate needs on the Georgia coast. Braves Country also sponsored by Smith's Old Bar, best live music venue in Atlanta since 1994, located in the heart of Midtown at 1578 Piedmont Avenue. Smith's Old Bar is a neighborhood joint for everyone. Check out smithsoldbar.com for the current concert calendar and tickets. See y'all at Smith's. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. So that Austin music scene is kind of creeping into your... How long have you, did you live out there? I was out there for a little over a dozen years. Mm-hmm. And, so uh, that was a pretty good job. Did you like Texas? Oh, I love Texas. Yeah. I still got a Texas driver's license. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, uh, it was great, and I and it was a good... I worked on the West Coast a lot when I was out there, so the whole, you know, especially being a Southeastern kid, uh, that was that was so fun, you know. Yeah, it cuts that trip in half if you 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cuts it cuts it way in half. And you worked. Uh, I hear you were hanging out with, and maybe worked a little bit with the Willie Nelson camp. Is that, uh, is that correct? Or? Well, I did shows with him here actually, mm-hmm. but uh, out there I played. Uh, I did a lot of sideman work. Oh, it was great. Uh, I got to work with some really cool other other songwriters while I was pursuing my own thing too. I was still I had a five piece honky tonk band, and then I was also playing in a in a couple of really cool uh, underground uh, punk bands. Uh, I played with Texacala Jones from uh, Tex and the Horseheads, and, and I played some guitar with a band called the Hickoids. They were like one of the first cow punk bands, which. Uh, and then uh, I played with uh, Rich Minus, and uh, he wrote a great song called Laredo Rose that uh, the Texas Tornadoes cut. So I, it was cool because whoever was short a guitar player or a bass player, I would just sort of cut out and do some some runs with them. And then uh, and then I had a couple of great house gigs in town. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that Austin, Texas, it's just like it's churning. You got to stay in four bands to keep, right? Yeah, <laughs> to pay the rent out there. Right? <laughs> and then you played your own shows, though. And I, did you? Yeah. Did you open for Willie or something like that, or did you? Yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Here. Now, where was that? Tell us about that. Show. Oh, that was probably a Tabernacle, and I think yeah. uh, Peter Stroud was playing with me that night. Oh wow, he's an amazing guitar player. He's awesome. Yeah. Just wind him up and let him go, right? Yes, sir. And what about the, some other folks that I saw that you? I played with Leon Russell, the Stray Cats, of course, Kevin Kinney, um, Drive-By Truckers, and the Ramones. Yeah. Is that, is that right? The Ramones? Yeah, yeah. Wow, tell, what was that? Tell us all about your thing with the Ramones. That, that was one like show, one or? of the last Tombstones shows, probably, man. Uh-huh. And that was, I think CJ was playing bass. But, uh, I, you know, that was kind of a blur. And... Uh, it was packed. I thought the floor was going to collapse. It was a masquerade. Oh, you did uh, upstairs, show, upstairs. Right? So I thought the, you know, I don't know if you've ever yeah, been to it. I remember the, the floor. The, was yeah, I was mostly in. concerned the floor was going to cave in. Yeah. I had. I used to stand on the edge just in case that, that uh, did happen. I recall they did, they wouldn't let us do sound check because they didn't want us to just to, uh, they were trying to eat. That's what they said. The Ramones were. Total silence while they eat. And then, so, uh, it was a blast, I, but uh, but I don't remember. like I say that was ooh, 90, 1990 maybe or ninety one. Yeah. So I don't have a super clear. I remember Roy Acuff better than right. that show. And did you experience their tour manager uh, Arturo? I did. Uh, I believe yeah. he's the gentleman that told me that they needed silence yeah. while they ate. <laughs> so. Yeah. And another tour manager I heard you were, were friends with is uh, was Pooty. Uh, did you you knew Pootie? Yes, sir, man. I used to hang out at Pootie's. Yeah, he was uh, so he was Willie Nelson's long term guy, but he also worked with some other folks. Back there. back when I imbibed, uh, we had some awesome. He made some awesome moonshine, man. Yeah. Well, he was. Or he received some awesome moonshine. I don't yeah. know. He was generous. Moonshine would, and other things would just kind of yeah. arrive around him. Yeah. And you know, uh, when I was working with Shooter Jennings for a little while, I thought I had made it when I was invited on Pootie's bus a couple of times. That was a big deal. Like, you couldn't come into Pootie's world unless you were verified, and you, it was kind of validating, like, yeah. you validating in a way, you know? And he he was just a... That place was awesome. Were, what, what, uh, the Pooty's, Pooty's Hilltop was awesome. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's still that. there. I used to play up there a lot. I would go up there and play with uh, JT Van Zant and um, shit. I saw Leon Russell playing there. He, uh, and then I played there. Uh, I worked with David Allen Coe's daughter for a while, uh, Shelly Coe, and we would do. She sang backup for me, and I would do production work for her. Mm-hmm. So it was a awesome uh, community. Man, it's been a wild ride, hasn't it? Been, yeah. Really interact with a lot of great folks, great people, great music. and uh, But you're also in touch with, like, family and uh in the south still even though you're kind of splitting time in new york and texas and and but you're you're i mean you love the american south right you're a yeah, southern i'm a southerner yeah still yeah. no matter no matter how you slice it I, I i love uh the northeast is awesome and it's beautiful up there and uh, and i've got a home up there but uh you know this is these are my roots here so and you're you're originally from marietta is that yeah right? yeah okay. that's where i grew up so what is it, when you go to other parts of the country or the world, um, what are the things that you miss about being down south? Bojangles. Bojangles. <laughs> Hashtag. <Yeah. laughs> um, hun. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, well, mostly biscuits, I would say. Biscuits, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we ask everybody who comes on the show about their favorite um, southern restaurants or food but you got any spots that are uh, besides Bojangles that are like barbecue shacks mom and pops meeting threes around the south that you just have to stop at no matter if you've already eaten or not you gotta, or you plan your tour around like um, or any spots where you just uh, man I always hit the little Cuban sub shop down on Buford Highway okay yeah, uh, yeah. speaking of uh, remember the name of that oh is it called What's it called? I can't remember the name of the place. Just, it's, it's really just all of the yellow. Highway. It's that little yellow building there at, at uh, North Jewett Hills and, and Buford Highway. Yeah. You're a Cuban, Cuban guy? Uh, I like it. Yeah. I like it, man. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I haven't. Uh, I used to stop at Dreamland, you know, when I was in Alabama, when I hit, go through Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great barbecue place. And did you do the Tuscaloosa one or the Birmingham one? The Birmingham. Yeah. Birmingham. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what's still here now. All right. You right. know, everything's changed so much for me, too, because I was out west for 15 years and then up north off and on. So, uh, what kind of tacos did you order in Austin? What, what was your thing? Oh, man. Uh, well, Cabrito, if I could get it, uh-huh. you know. But that's a San Antonio delicacy. I see. What is that? Uh, that's goat barbecue oh, wow. goat yeah wow that's intense that's awesome and then what do you eat what, what, now how do you eat up north when there's no biscuits or, or goat tacos man they have great Italian food and the deli food is really good and uh I mean there's a lot of the produce is really fresh up there so okay uh I don't know I eat a lot of diners I, I hang out in a lot of diners yeah cause you're eating it off times cause you're cause you travel or you're yeah. playing the show yeah there's a lot of cool little diners up there yeah. So and and you're up there because your son is there. You you live uh, what outside of Syracuse somewhere or something there? I live in I live in the forest outside of Syracuse. I, I I've been uh I've been staying in uh the prison city, Auburn, New York. I'm with the first electric chair. Whoa. My son lives. <laughs> he lives in another town, pretty close, pretty close by. Did uh, you pick that? Cause that, or did that just happen to you? That just that, happened to be where I ended just, up. That just goes with. They you just so sort of adopted me. 
<laughs> so, I've got some great friends there, and my son lives pretty close to there, so it it works out really good. I'm I'm, I'm close by, and there's plenty to entertain. <laughs> so. Right. So what's your what's your son into? Is he a baseball fan at all? Man, he's he... you know he's a Yankees guy. Okay. So yeah, he's into baseball. Right. Uh, he's he still wants to go see it. He went to see a Yankees game uh, this year. They got rained out, so he's he's got his rain check and uh, and it's gonna happen. But uh, he's he's a he's a Yankees fan. And he knows that you come from Braves country. And that oh you've yeah. Got a got a thing for the Braves. He's Marvel. I'm DC. <laughs> I'm Braves. He's Yankees. But. Yeah. But we like the comics and we and we like baseball. So right, that's cool. So yeah, it's good. Can hang. Uh, did, now, who was your favorite Braves player of all time? Uh, shit, man, Hank Aaron. Right. You know, that was that was. I was I grew up in the seventies, man. So uh, that was my that that's my impression of baseball. You know. Uh, let's see, I was ten years old when he hit seven fifteen. Right. So, uh, so did you watch that or listen to it? Man, we had, I remember we, my parents had a, uh, another couple they were friends with. And I, I think the dude, uh, like ran the local Firestone tire company and he had this huge TV. So we all went over to their house and watched the, watched the game. And, uh, and it, you know, that was like, I equate that with watching the moon landing. Right. You know? Equally uh, important. Equally important in my psyche. Impressed. Yeah. Equal impressions. So uh, So you can remember seeing it and you had the... Yeah, you know, the... I remember seeing it and the... You know, everybody... It was the 70s, so everybody was... You know, everything was 70s style in there. And it was... Uh, not everybody had a giant... You know, they had one of those big... It's, I guess when they first started making the really large TV screens mm-hmm. and uh, alluding to the flat screen era, you know what I mean? But yeah. um, I, I remember, uh, you know, that was a, that was a big deal. And, did, uh, did everybody talk about like they knew it was about to happen? And oh yeah, no, no, it was, was like, come on, we're going to load up. He's going to hit, he's going to break the record. Tonight, right. You know, Amazing. so, uh, so it, there was a lot of build up to it. There was yeah. a lot of build up to it, and and uh, and I, I guess everybody was partying. We were kids. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it, it it you know I'll never forget that. And then I ended up uh, you know when I was probably 15, 16, I ended up working at the Brave Stadium. Oh really? I was Cotton Candy Man. Neat. Yeah. I sold cotton candy. I made cotton candy and sold it in the stands. So at, I, I at got Fulton to go. Yeah, I got to go to all the all the uh, Braves games, all the Chiefs games. Wow. So, you, so uh, what, how how much was cotton candy back then? I think it was. <laughs> I think it was a dollar. Yeah. It's a big profit. I think it was a dollar. And you had to run up and down the aisles with the cotton candy. I'd spin it, and then if we didn't sell it, I had to go out and sell it. You know, wow. but uh, I try to keep myself busy. Did you get to watch the game every little? Yeah, little yeah, bit? yeah. If you sold out, if you sold out, you can hang out and watch the game. Oh, so that's kind of the reward, the goal. To, yeah, to get you done want to by the sell fans. all your cones and get done, man. Right. But those, what, what years were those uh, roughly? Let's see. Uh, let's see, I was ten and seventy-four, so that might have been close to nineteen eighty. Okay. Yeah, eighty-one. So, 
Right. So who? What, what players do you remember? Uh, Man, I anybody? I can't remember. <laughs> you just remember selling that cotton candy. Yeah, I think that's when I started smoking weed. Okay, <laughs> that's a that's a good excuse. <laughs> Be sure honest. <laughs> Sorry, kid. Um, so <laughs> hopefully after work. After work. Yes. Not on Mr. It's Jones. not recommended either. No, it's not. <laughs> or he'll end up like your Uncle Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Don't be like your Uncle Clayton. Oh, man. Um, so cool. That worked out good. And, and were you, in, you were in Atlanta for the 95 World Series, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Wait, like? hang on. Was that, that was a, no, I lived in Houston. Okay. No, I lived... No, I was here. I was here. I'm, I lived in Houston a couple of times too, so yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Well, that's that's the bad guys this year. We beat them in the World Series. Did you did you catch some of that? You're, I'm sure you were into the Braves winning this year, right? Yeah. I I was. Uh, I woke up and saw that the Braves had won, and I was just like, it's a, it's it's long overdue, and and uh, it was just so nice to see, man. On top of, you know, it was good news. And and, yeah. and 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 troubled times, you know. Right, we needed some good news. Yeah, man. And the Braves did that for us this year with the World Series, but also I really appreciated them being the first team to open up at 100% in the National League. You know, that really meant a lot to me because I was not, I was dreading like another year of weird baseball, you know. So I'm glad that, I feel like the Braves are kind of leading the way on getting things back to normal. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm hopeful that they'll win a couple more World Series in the cup. I'd like series. to see that, man. Yeah, be sorry, nice. sorry, Yankees. Yeah, that's right. That. <laughs> sorry, son. <laughs> well, we got to keep the conversation going, you know. Yeah. No, I, you know, I I can relate to that because uh, I've said it before. I my dad was in the army, so I'm an army brat. We traveled around every two or three years, and uh, in the late '70s, I was uh, I was up in New York, and I got to experience the. I didn't need to go, but I was a little, you know, kid during the. Uh, Yankees little run there where they won the, with Reggie Jackson and all that and, and uh, so I have respect for the now then I came down here of course I was, I've been a Braves fan since uh, 84, 85 and uh, but I have respect for the Yankees even though you know they're like the evil empire you you kind of you kind of you, you might not like them that much but you got to respect them yeah at the very least and, and they got the history and Speaking of history, you also work with this Fate magazine, <laughs> and you just gave me before we sat down. Yeah, it's man, amazing. I, uh, stopped, I was I was at headquarters a few days ago when uh, we were talking about getting together, and I and I said to the editor or the the, the, the publisher, I was, uh, we got some baseball. Yeah, and she goes, I got some baseball, and she said, make sure Scott gets a copy. This is excellent. This is Fate Magazine, True Reports of the Strange and Unknown, and this is from uh, April of 2011, and it's, the cover says, Babe Ruth Lives, and it has a picture of Babe Ruth on it where he's, uh, and he's autographed it there, and I can't wait to read about this. Um, now, what do, you, what do you do with the Fate Magazine? Dude? Man, I, I, you know, that's a, a rarity, number one. It's a print magazine. It's still in print. Yeah. Uh, so I help... Uh, the 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 folks that own it uh, organized the magazine and and then uh, I ended up you know helping them helping them get online and get uh, it's 
uh, you know, integrated into the digital digital age like I had to do with my music, you know. Uh, it was, except for there's no drummer that'll quit. <laughs> but, <laughs> we didn't uh, bypass that part of it. <laughs> Drummers are sometimes unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I, and now I help, help with, yeah. I, I pretty much do the online editing for, for the articles and the news stuff that comes out and, and, and I write articles for the magazine too. Occasionally, you know. Cool. What's a what's an article or two? I I just wrote a article about uh, I wrote an article about Ray Harryhausen. Oh, uh, the claymation. They they did an issue on the the Kraken. The magazine did, and I wrote a story about Ray Harryhausen because he did a the Kraken was in uh, some of the film two of the films that he did, and uh, uh, so I did a little piece on. Yeah, he did Clash of the Titans with them. Yeah, yeah, with exactly. So, and then when the Kraken would break up, my brothers and I would say, oh, the Kraken is a Kraken. Yeah, man. We had it going. Release and I loved the all the Jason and the Argonauts uh, movies. Yeah, too. yeah. So it, it, I get to do little weird pieces uh, like that, you know. That's uh, very interesting. I wrote, I wrote an article about uh, debunking uh, physical mediums. Debunking physical mediums. Okay. Uh, you know, psychic mediums that oh. that manifest physical things. And Harry Houdini was was into debunking physical mediums. Uh, there's all kinds of strange history out there, uh, and I end up running into it a lot of times uh, when I travel around. So it, it was, and, and and when I was on tour with the Tombstones, and we were driving across the desert, we always listened to like coast to coast and all these uh, late night radio call-in shows with unexplained stuff so yeah coast to the coast and to the Rockies yeah Yeah. so it was already just kind of one of those deals man yeah it was Um, so you know the thing about um, that all that stuff is when you are living in that world of all that um, kind of crazy uh, macabre uh, unusual odd stuff um, what is it you where's your center man what do you use to anchor yourself what's your uh, to, to kind of not be you know freak, do you just enjoy all the, the freaky unknown or do you have a well that's it's in this you know I, I guess my center is my family uh-huh. you know and and uh, I've got two interests but music's always been my life and the 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 high strangeness stuff was always sort of an escape, you know, because I'd had experiences when I was younger, <clears throat> and I and I had new people that did, and and it was part of the cult, you know, some of the uh, ghost stories and stuff from the old the culture growing up in the deep south, you know, and, and so I don't know, it just everything just sort of you know I can put it to bed because it's it's uh you know it's i clock in and sort of clock in and clock out of that but but when i'm writing my pieces for the magazine you know it's great when i'm traveling because it's uh if i'm having trouble maybe working on some songs i can i can work on a on an article so and and all the stuff that gets brought to us is pretty amazing too so i mean it's i don't know 
I couldn't say no to them when they approached me. So. Yeah, it's really neat gig. I, I can't wait to read this, and I appreciate this gift. Yeah, Thank man. You so much. Um, and you know, you, I know you got a show to do, but I wondered if you'd maybe close us out with like another song. Do you think you got you got? Yeah, man. That in you yeah, for sure. More? For sure. Anything you want to play? Maybe something from your new record, Raised on Roots, or or any song that you think uh, Braves fans who are getting to know you might uh, might dig. <laughs> but this is Stevie Tombstone live on your Braves Country Podcast. So check them out at stevietombstone.net. And man, thank you so much for talking with me today, man. Thanks for hanging out, man. I appreciate you coming. Yeah, absolutely. Lucky that I'm still alive. Yeah, I thought I'd use nine, but I must have been high. Forgotten and shot at the never tonight. I'm lucky that I'm still alive. Lucky that you love me still. Yeah, I know you're my rock, but I've rode you uphill. Aside from my pride and unshakable will. I'm lucky that you love me still This episode of Braves Country is sponsored by our Braves fan friends down at Century 21, Solomon Properties in Savannah, Georgia, servicing the historic downtown Savannah area, the island area, and Atlanta's beach, beautiful Tybee Island, Georgia. Call Joel Solomon today, 912-604-0896. That's 912-604-0896 for all your real estate needs on the Georgia coast. Braves Country also sponsored by Smith's Old Bar, best live music venue in Atlanta since 1994, located in the heart of Midtown at 1578 Piedmont Avenue. Smith's Old Bar is a neighborhood joint for everyone. Check out smithsoldbar.com for the current concert calendar and tickets. See y'all at Smith's. Braves Country supports the Warrior Alliance and the Shepherd's Men, two phenomenal veteran organizations based in the South. Check out thewarrioralliance.org and shepherdsmen.com for more info and resources. That's thewarrioralliance.org and shepherdsmen.com. Braves Country would like to thank all of our nation's great veterans. 
The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. 